Welcome, kindred spirits, to the History Chicks coverage of the Netflix series Anne with an E. You have found episode four. I'm Beckett Graham. And I am Susan Vollenweider. So the title of this episode, An Inward Treasure Born, as usual, is another quote from Jane Eyre, in which Mr. Rochester is dressed up like a gypsy woman. Um, He's kind of deceiving everybody by pretending to be someone he's not. And he describes little Jane so... I can live alone if self-respect and circumstances require me to do so. I need not sell my soul to buy bliss. I have an inward treasure born with me, which can keep me alive if all extraneous delights should be withheld. And how does that tie in? Because, man, I hurt my brain trying to figure this one out. And I think I have it, but I want to hear yours first. Well, based on the full quote, remember that Anne in this last episode had made, I'm going to just call them some missteps. You can listen to episode three for the full details. She'd made a lot of enemies and sort of ruined her reputation. And so I'm going to say that Anne's inner treasure born is her imagination. And further, especially as we get a lot further into this episode, her eternal optimism that I do not understand that the world is a fundamentally good place despite being shown so much to the contrary. So what Mr. Rochester says to Jane is, you have a great deal of inner resources and the outer world, while it might touch you, will not damage you. Okay, that's how I interpreted the original quote, but I looked at it within the context of this episode a little bit differently. I looked at it about the storyline of Marilla and Anne mulling over a certain person's mansplaining of the women's role in society and trying to find where they fit in that, what they really believe they are from the inside. Yeah, I think both things could be true simultaneously. There was actually a, um, and I'll link you in the show notes, there is a Washington Post humor article from 2014 written by Alexander Petrie, and it's Ask Jane Eyre Questions. And so the question was, do you need other people to be happy? And the answer was, I can live alone if self-respect and circumstances require me. I mean, it was this whole quote, but the whole article was rather entertaining. So I'd recommend reading it, I think. Now, this episode was directed by a man. Imagine that. Hold that in your brain while we're talking about the show, I think. His name is David Evans, and he had directed several episodes of our favorite, Downton Abbey. Including uh, the one where Edith's boyfriend reveals that he's married but can't divorce his wife because she's insane. So we are full on 360 Jane Eyre up in here. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, very good. Very good. Let's just get right into the recap. We have the cold open. There's a wood pile. And, you know, this show is so good at doing those close ups and then expanding out and like telling a story and just that little bit of time at the very beginning. So we open on a wood pile and some guy is cutting logs. It's, it's, it's little jet. (laughs) It reminded me so much of your son cutting logs, but really it was Gilbert and he's chopping wood and he hands it off and it's Ruby and the girls who are collecting it and dropping it on a wood floor. And then that floor becomes a school and Moody is stoking the fire. It's Gilbert cutting someplace and Ruby and the girls cutting someplace else. And then then at the school, I mean, it's totally different wood chopping scenarios going on here. And it all blends into Marilla stoking a fire in her stove, pouring coffee and taking it out to our little friend, Jerry. And unfortunately, this sweet little sweet little vignette here is ruined for me because Jerry says merci 
and they put the darn subtitle of thank you underneath it. I mean, seriously, seriously, we're supposed to understand the underlying messages of Jane Eyre titles, but not Merci. <laughs> I know the subtitles bother you. I don't know why. I didn't even see it. Maybe I'm not looking on the right screen. I don't know. I didn't even see it, but uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And I have to tell you, I love those kind of photo tricks. I always call it a transportation cut. I'm 100% sure that's not what real people call it. But, you know, where you zoom in on one thing and you pull away and you're like, oh, we were tricked. We've been transported through the fire to a different house. Yeah, exactly. And this one where you had to, like, think about it because it was so seamless. I wonder if the kids at school took it in turns to have wood duty. We saw an older boy chopping wood for the schoolhouse back in Laura Ingalls Wilder books. Oh yeah. Um out in the prairie school, so I think it was just a very common duty while the teacher was literally still at home eating his curds and whey or whatever the heck Mr. Phillips eats, drinks <laughs> blood, I don't know what he does. Um, while he's luxuriously enjoying his last cup of coffee. Um, some of the students have to get the classroom ready. Oh, you know, you just said something that struck me. Is there a subtitle setting on Netflix? I don't and I'm getting think. I'm getting mad at this for no reason. I'm gonna have to check as soon as we're done here because and I'll apologize to Netflix if that's what ever happens. Or well, not Netflix, I guess it would be to the production company of this show. Getting back to the logs in the fire. I did love that fire is universal kind of element to this, the blending of everybody. It's like fire. Chopping wood, making fire, it keeps us all alive in this society. You know, everybody does it. It's something that happens everywhere. Well, and I will have to say that fire is one of the two overarching themes of this episode. There is fire inserted everywhere it can be. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I actually wrote, oh, and fire. Can we call this foreshadowing? That was before I realized how much foreshadowing there actually was because <laughs> I was looking for it. It's like, dang, again, I need that's like a slate of foreshadowing being cracked over my head. <laughs> I, a slate of foreshadowing. I'm going to I'm going to have to remember that. OK. <laughs> and also, I'm not actually sure if it's coffee or tea. I'm inclined to believe it's coffee. So therefore, Jerry is a bad aleck for drinking black coffee at 13. Yo. And How old were you when you drank coffee? I, I was pretty young. Well, I was, I was 14. But that was cream and sugar time. Oh. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you like some coffee with your cream and sugar? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I haven't. Um, I drank it black at my house, like where I grew up. And probably about the same age, probably like 13, 14. And then when I was 16, I was an uh, exchange student in France. And that hot, you know, the, the cafe au lait with the hot milk and the <laughs> coffee. Yep. Oh, my God. I became such, when I came back, it was years before I would, like, my best cup of coffee was always hot milk and it's really strong coffee. I would make it myself because it was so good. And sugar. Yes, sugar. And there were Starbucks in every corner. No, there was a kitchen with a tea kettle and a coffee pot, not the automatic kind either. So Matthew and Marilla and Jerry are standing on the porch watching Anne act significantly weird, must I say, on the chicken coop. She's walking up and down on the roof, singing a song that has the following lyrics. Cordelia, nothing rhymes with your name. There's no need to be ashamed. Even though you're strange and plain. It's like Cordelia, also a theme of this particular episode, and, uh, you know, I thought, is that like a real song from like olden days or something? It's not. I did look. That's okay, because I was delighted to discover that my new favorite band, The Tragically Hip, had a song named Cordelia from the 1991 album Road Apples. 
isn't a road apple horse poop? I that's how, what I think of it as, but uh, unless I typed it wrong on my notes here, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Marilla says, sort of under her breath, but I don't think there's any strangers around to hear it. If she doesn't go back soon, you'll have to send both of us to the loony bin, says Marilla to Matthew. And that's the entirety of the cold open. Yeah. It was super short. The credit sequence itself is based on eight paintings by an artist named Brad Kunkel. There was a bird that was upside down in the winter and right side up in the fall. And that refers to Anne's transformation through the entirety of the series. Mm-hmm. And um, Susan was right with her speculations from episode one or two, the pinky swearing duplicate Anne is supposed to represent Katie Maurice. There's also a Tumblr called Exploring Anne. It's called, quote, an unofficial fan exploration of the show. And the creator seems to be collecting other sources and putting them all in this one collection. I'm trying to not use the word curate. Um <laughs> And um, and adding a little commentary, the May 31st entry has a detailed look at the elements of the opening scene and what they mean. For instance, um, the similarities between the red fox and Anne, starting with their hair color and going on from there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So we'll give you a link to this Tumblr on our show notes. So our real opening scene is Anne sitting with a ladybug. Again, it's a one of those close-ups. Anne has this ladybug on her finger and she's just kind of playing with it. I question if it's actually a ladybug and not an Asian lady beetle, which is often mistaken for an actual ladybug. They're two different varieties of insect. They look very similar. Except the ladybug is red red and an Asian lady beetle is like a yellowish or an orange, dark orange color. The lady beetle does not fit into the song. So for the purposes (laughs) of our episode, it does not matter. (laughs) But here's the thing. You can buy ladybugs. Yeah. To put in your garden to eat the aphids. Yes. Yes. That's so cool. I mean, your garden loves ladybugs. And that's actually one of the um, origin stories of the poem, or I guess it's a nursery rhyme. That she's repeating, ladybug, ladybug, fly away home. Your house is on fire and your children are gone. All except one, and that's little Anne, for she crept under the frying pan. So see, here we go, another fire reference. Anne is making some assumptions here. Does no one remember poor old Francis, the boy ladybug from A Bug's Life? (laughs) I don't think she does, no. <laughs> I love it. And Dennis Leary is the voice, and you know, he says, So being a ladybug automatically makes me a girl. Is that it? Fly boy. And he has really long <laughs> eyelashes and he's super adorable. But statistically speaking, you know, fully half of them are not going to be ladies. No, that's true. That's very true. I have to think that they just did this whole scene so they could use this little nursery rhyme yep. because it not only talks about fire, but it talks about Anne's survival instincts. Yep. Because. The Anne ladybug crawled under the frying pan, and so she's right where she should be. Or maybe not. Maybe she thought she was safe, but she's under a frying pan in a fire. That can't be, like, the safest place to be, I would think. So anyway, I would not leave Anne in charge of anything that could cause a fire with her abstracted mood. And that is being very generous with regard to, I mean, she is just, I don't know, she is not focused. I put scatterbrained and then I researched scatterbrained and there's a study out there that's scattered. There's a study out there that says scatterbrained people are more intelligent because they can, their minds are always thinking they're very good critical thinkers. So I'll take that one. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, Marilla, she's telling Anne to be careful with the pie. There's a pie cooking. And she, Anne, is in charge of this thing. Don't ruin it because Marilla does not want to come home to Green Gables in a smoldering ruin. We should have a slate crack sound for that. Well, so Marilla does leave, even though she does look back several times and scream, Anne, Anne, who's okay, I'm going, I'm going, I swear I'm going. Whatever. Marilla goes to Rachel's house, Rachel Lynn's house, for advice about Anne and school. She wants to stay at home. What should I do? And Rachel doesn't hesitate giving it to her. Rachel loves giving advice. Look at her happy face. Since you've asked me, she says. She's so happy she can, you know, hardly breathe. She says nice things about Anne, number one, which is really good. And she tells Marilla that this plan that she's got of making her go back to school is not going to work. She has got to be let to decide it on her own time. Mm -hmm. And she predicts a week. She says it's going to take a week, but I assure you she will go back. Yeah, she'll go back of her own accord, she says, which is book accurate. You know, mm -hmm. Mrs. Lynn did. And in the book, of course, Marilla took that advice and didn't make her go back. So No, but she did say, Rachel did say, it's hard to have lofty ideas when you're stuck in the kitchen all day. Yeah, I think that is what I would call the second theme of the episode is mm -hmm. women stuck in the women's sphere, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The I, I, only thing I have to say about this particular scene is, those people sure eat a lot of scones. <laughs> There's always a plate of scones ready. I want to live there, but I want somebody else to make them. <laughs> Is that possible? Well, you know, if you think about it, it's never a waste. No matter if somebody doesn't eat them, if somebody's sick, you have them ready. If you mm -hmm. have to take them someplace, something's ready. But if you don't use them, there's always pigs that are like the compost heap of the animal world. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So pigs will eat the leftovers. It's not like now when it would go in the trash can at work. You know, and their presence seems to instill kind of a civility. Like all these conversations are happening at a table over tea and scones. It's so lovely and so civilized. Can we have like a social media platform that has a coffee mug or a teacup as the logo? Well, I do not also understand the restorative <laughs> power of a cup of tea. Anybody who's upset, I'll put the kettle on. I don't. I know it's all over Irish fiction too, so it must be some kind of very comforting thing from one's past. But I don't. I don't oh. know if Americans subscribe to the restorative power of a cup of strong sweet tea. This one does. When I'm sick, that's all I want. Like, no, I totally do. Iced tea in the summer, hot tea in the winter. Yeah. I do believe in the restorative powers. Maybe I do, too, because I was just thinking, well, when I'm sick, I'd like a hot toddy. And I was thinking over the ingredients. Oh, black tea and whiskey. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So maybe I do. I just need a little bit of an able assist from the corn squeezins family. The corn squeezes family. <laughs> <sighs> I thought I was being a little sophisticated in, like, you know, going back in time. A lovely tradition, but no. And I say the word corn squeezins and everybody's <laughs> pinky comes down. Okay. That's funny. So Anne, back in the kitchen, not mindful of her responsibilities, is walking on the table bench back and forth, lost in her imagination as Princess Cordelia, talking to her imaginary servant, Griselda, about this and that. Well, literally, you can see the smoke coming out of the oven right now. So she says... This is very pointed. She says to Griselda, how awful to be in service to those who neglect you or treat you unkindly. She's really in what I call a half fugue right now. We mm -hmm. don't see the flashback, but I think there's one in Anne's head is what I'm saying. Because she says, I wonder if these feelings ever go away about feeling small 
and unimportant. I know. That's so sad. When that particular line, when she delivers it, it's like, oh, that's that you have a hard life. You're in a real pickle right now, lady. But then she flips her switch and she's like happy and talking to Griselda. Now, who is Griselda? Like, do you know? Well, there's a story called Patient Griselda, but it, it doesn't seem to mean that Griselda is a um, servant. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of does. Okay, this is a folktale. I believe it's Italian. Um, but Griselda in this story is very patient and obedient to the point of following her husband's direction to kill their children. I know. That's but, why I was like, well, I hope this isn't the same Griselda. I don't want her in the house, kind of. I know. I know. I know. And then he kidnaps the kids and has them raised elsewhere. He divorces Griselda. And she lives with her dad for years, thinking she's killed her children, until the ex says, ha, psych, here they are. Why don't you come back and we can be a happy family together? It's like, what? Yeah, that's the only Griselda I could find. So if there's another one out there, I'd love to know it. Because this one seems like a poor, a poor playmate. <laughs> well, so I think we could probably add patient Griselda to the list because that's not a name you pick up in a baby book, really. Mm-mm. Okay. Patient so, Griselda. And it's also a super dysfunctional book. I, you know. So Morella comes home and is not pleased about the pie being ruined, but more importantly, the house being full of smoke. And she says, my favorite line in the whole entire episode. Don't just stand there with your teeth in your head. Open the door. (laughs) That is a good line. This episode had a lot of good lines. I had a hard time picking one. Well, I say, speaking (laughs) of separated at birth, I say very commonly, perhaps you should wipe that face off of your head. I say that to Jet Graham all the time because he'll have a grumpy face and then I'll make a grumpy face and I'll say the line and we'll both laugh. And the end. Good parenting. Also, uh, prop-wise, I love that mixing bowl rack you see. When Marilla is looking down at the burnt-up pie, uh, that was probably supposed to be for dinner, by the way, right over her shoulder, there is a giant rack of the most lovely uh, brownware crockery mixing bowls. Oh, I saw those. Yes. And I, I guess agree. that would make more sense than stacking them because they are they would get all chippy if you tried mm-hmm. to put them in a drawer or something. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my mixing bowls are out stacked up, though, because they look so pretty. They are. It looks good. It's like an ornament, but it's practical. That's very Marilla. That's very Susan, too. I have Marilla's decorating style. How about that? And I have a question (laughs) for uh, the physics slash, I don't know, maybe you. I don't know. (laughs) Would it have set the house on fire? I know the smoke would suck and you couldn't breathe and everything would smell not good. Like you don't have a hood in a kitchen or whatever. But would it have set the house on fire? I kind of think, no, it's pretty contained in there. You've got wood burning in another part of that thing, right? I mean... Yeah, that's what I think, too. But it is fire and smoke. We well, have to have as many elements of foreshadowing as we can get in. Well, I don't know. I guess I want to know what damage it would have caused to the house, other than the smoke, which is not really nice to breathe in, etc. Yeah. Hey, you know what? The um, book accurate things, when she's talking to Marilla, she's like desperate because Marilla's didn't tell her she's got to go to school. And starting tomorrow, she's going back. And Anne is like, no, no, no. She's truly panicked. She's in like a fight or flight situation. And she's like, she has no friends, no one to confine in. And then there's Gil. I mean, a boy who wants to humiliate me is what she says. And that's pretty book accurate because for those, what, four years that she didn't talk. I know. And she never referred to him either. 
I mean, she she would accidentally start to, just like the line that you just read. Yeah. So that that is so amazing. And you know, I think her real problem is Billy Andrews, not Gilbert. Mm-hmm. But you, the way she sees it, though, it's Gilbert. And I was thinking about that. And I still kind of, I never bought it in the original book, the whole holding a grudge about calling yourself carrots until I started to think about this. There's a saying that people won't remember what you said to them, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I think her feelings about Gilbert are just that, that day of suck, you know, like when Mm -hmm. everyone was against her and the whole sex ed class that went wrong and the girls were mad and Billy Andrews was barking and it was a new school and she was behind. And I think every of those horrible feelings with all that adrenaline and, and, and the crying in the back of your throat that you don't want to let out in front of people and that got a face and it was Gilbert face. And I, so every time she sees Gilbert, that feeling comes up and I think mm-hmm. it can override a lot of logic, that feeling. Okay. So Marilla has had it. This has gone on long enough. Your mind is idle. And Anne is trying to explain that she wasn't idle. She was Cordelia. And Cordelia is embraced for being different. And you know what? Marilla cannot handle Cordelia right now. And she said, <laughs> life is not magic, Anne. You were going back to school and that is final. Oh, that's not good. So what Anne does is, you know, she can't argue her way out of this. So she runs into the... What are we calling that room? The parlor? I think it's the parlor. Um, And she sits down on the floor and she just hugs her knees and she cries. And it's that same position she was in back in the orphanage when they dangled the mouse and tried to get her to eat it. The dead mouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same position. That's how low she is right now. So did you notice that this time when Anne runs, you know, she always runs when she's in great distress. She runs to Katie Maurice. Mm -hmm. Because the person she ran to last time is her antagonist. I know. <laughs> yeah. So Anne is crying in the parlor and Marilla just stomps out to the barn and plays her. I'm raising her card to Matthew. So don't you get involved, Matthew. That girl has got to go to school. And Matthew's like, I was, you know, I'm just trying to be th- sympathetic to her. And Marilla is having none of that. And poor Matthew's got this look on his face like, I'm surrounded by all these women and their emotions, and I don't know how to cope. He's just got this look on his face like, oh, oh, dear. Poor old Matthew. Yeah, it infuriated Marilla, which is why she left the kitchen when Anne said, Matthew said I didn't have to go back. And Marilla is like, oh, did he really? So Anne hears voices in her head talking bad things at her, miserable piece of trash, etc. Um, and then she catches sight of maybe Katie's back, maybe Katie's back and tries to talk to her in that reflection of the clock glass. Um, and I have to tell you, I'm afraid that I saw this Katie Maurice thing as a sort of scary pathology. I did not find it cute at all. I found it very very disturbing. Like Katie Maurice was supposed to be, you know, the left-hand side of the bookcase glass. And I never really understood that Anne thought she talked back, I guess. It wasn't her reflection at all. It's supposed to be an independent entity. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was very disturbed. And I was like, I don't, mm -mm -mm. nope. Anne has lost her marbles. (laughs) Yeah. That Well, again, that's how far she's down. I mean, she's down to a really really bad place now katie maurice is book accurate the character it was through some uh bookcase glass originally and i thought it was mrs thomas house where she first met katie maurice yeah and that was yeah it was uh drunken and abusive husband home number one whereas the katie maurice 
that is now in the clock, she says, Mrs. Hammond. Now, I don't know, again, if that's just to, what's that phrase you like to use about literary being concise? Narrative economy. That's the word. Yeah. Because why why explain all those other houses she's at? Just put them all under the banner of the Hammonds. So, um, I don't like Katie Maurice. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't like the version that of Katie Maurice <laughs> that's in Anne's head. Yeah. Because it means Anne's in a really bad place and I'm, I'm scared for her. So Marilla out in the barn puts her foot down. She says that whole passive aggressive, if it is all right with you, I would like Anne to go back to school since you know everything with your permission, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Super hilarious. She does say idle hands are the devil's workshop, which is, of course, a quote from that classic work of literature, the Bible. Um, Proverbs 16 verses 27 to 29. So there you go. Um, you know, what greater authority do you have, I guess, than that? She's going back to school. So the next day, Anne is walking off down the red drive looking beyond sad. She's just looking nothing. Kind of. And Matthew and Marilla watch her with empathy on at least Matthew's face, but certainly no reprieve out of anybody's face. No, not at all. And the speed that we went from Marilla saying she's going back to school tomorrow to tomorrow, it was kind of like any night before an event that you dread how the night just <laughs> flies by too fast. Yes. That's kind of what happened here. It was like, I have to go. I don't want to go. Don't make me go. Make this the next six hours, you know, go long. No, it doesn't. Boom, flies. So Anne walks to school. The next thing she knows, again, faster than, you know, everything that you dread, you get to faster. She's suddenly at school and she stops deep in thought when she hears the school bells ringing. And she looks at the school and she looks off to, you know, her thoughts and the other side. You know, she's glancing back and forth. What is that look on her face? Is it dread? Is it a plan? Was she coming up with lines like she did in the first episode to tell her classmates, you know, that Molly Ringwald finger snap stuff? You know, you just <laughs> don't know what's going on in her head. But you see a little echo of something that happened before. This is just like when mm -hmm. she stopped outside the orphanage and decided, you know what? No, I am not going in there. Mm -hmm. yeah, and oh, she yeah. takes refuge with her friends, the bluebells and whatnot uh just outside the orphanage it's a little bit of a repetition of something so. that happened before but we don't know that yet we're not for sure no no we're not but we are back at green gables and matthew comes into the house in the middle of the day marilla is cutting potatoes and he doesn't usually stop in the house at this time she's kind of short with him she just doesn't want to deal with him it's out of order this is not in our schedule marilla loves her schedule and matthew coming in at this time is not it so he's acting kind of strangely trying to come up with reasons why he's in there so finally she figures it out and she says Anne will get used to it like any other child and then matthew says Anne's not like the others and you can see that marilla does feel anxious that she's made the wrong decision i am telling you also Marilla should listen to podcasts while she's cooking because she is wrought up. <laughs> um, I suggest the Sporkful Dinner Party Download. Oh, um, oh nothing's going to chill you out like Dinner Party Download. <laughs> uh, you know, take her mind off her troubles, learn some recipes, but also she's a lefty, I happen to notice. So, Oh. Yeah. So Marilla has the same impatient attitude with Matthew that I have when people pretend not to understand something that I think is fully clear i'm just like i i can't like it's the thing that'll set me off it's like you heard me you heard me 
I know you heard me and you comprehended it, but you want to say the word what? <laughs> Poor Rilla, man. So when Anne comes in, I'm guessing evidently, since we have a timestamp, what are you doing here at three o'clock, Matthew? Um, evidently school is over at 2.30, I'm guessing. Okay. Seems like an early release, but um, Anne is just determined to hide that she did not go to school. Or or do we know that yet? No, but she starts to cover her tracks a little bit. And Marilla is almost catches her. She's like, where's your homework? And Anne says, I didn't have any today. How many times have I personally heard that line? (laughs) I can tell you, Marilla, even though you're a newbie mom here... When they say that, they're covering something. That's for sure. Well, and I think it helps that Matthew and Marilla have literally just agreed not to rock the boat with too many questions. So they let it go for their own benefit. And it actually helped Anne and her liar head behavior. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see how relieved Marilla is. Like she's gone against the advice of her friend who has 10 kids. She's gone out on her own and it's all worked out. So there. Yeah, that was totally a I told you so, Matthew, look at the very end there <laughs> when Anne is walking out of the room. And I have to say, every time they go to that kitchen, I'm like, I'd like some dried apples, please. Because they had these strings of dried apples drying over the stove area, like near it. And it's like, oh, those look so pretty. I want one. Well, I took the opportunity to note down a recipe for oven dried apples. And I will send <gasps> that to you. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. Because I'm just like, you can't really have in a modern house all these apples just hanging forever. Although I bet the house would smell delicious for quite a while. So it takes about three hours in a low oven. So I'll send you that recipe. But Jet, my son, gets these packets of dried Fuji apples at a coffee store that we go to. Mm, Yum. Yeah, I love dried apples. I love all dried food. I can't think of one that I don't like. Anne goes into the parlor to bring Katie a rose and tries to coax Katie to appear. And you can clearly see... Anne's reflection. So if Anne is looking at her reflection and is not convinced that Katie's there, that, I mean, seriously, again, it disturbs me. It's like you're waiting for movement. Is that what you're waiting for? I I don't know. I'm so disturbed by this. (laughs) I'm just super hating the Katie Marie's thing. I don't know. Um, You didn't hate it in the book. No, I guess I didn't realize that we would be expecting a ghostly fully talking figure in the glass. I thought it was just her talking to her reflection, which I thought, oh, a little friend. But this whole giving her a rose and being disappointed that she doesn't appear when you can fully see the reflection, it's just a layer that I am not comfortable exploring. Okay. (laughs) No, it totally makes sense. You know, and that rose, okay, so we talked about roses a couple episodes ago, or last episode, about the silk roses at the Mm -hmm. fancy house. Yeah, we did get a note from someone, and I'm afraid I forgot to write her name down. I apologize. But she pointed out that in maritime areas, Um, roses bloom until the first hard frost, which I said to myself, well, that's how they bloom here. There's no leaves on the trees out there. Why are there still roses blooming? Because that here would mean that the rose season is past. So I'm thinking, you know, Prince Edward Island is far north of Missouri, right? No, we are actually in the same uh, zone area. We're in zone five, just like Prince Edward Island, because the ocean keeps everything warmer, longer. I think I could probably buy the wild roses, actually. Uh, but the what, the big tea roses that Mrs. Thing had in her parlor, nope, those are silk. Well, I was also wondering, that was a pretty fancy house. It, um, they obviously had a great deal of wealth and perhaps they had a, oh, a greenhouse. greenhouse. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. that's right. I'm going to justify every darn flower I see. There were actually mums blooming, too, right now. <laughs> I'm like, really? 
Those will be gone too. Hard frost. They're done. So Anne, while she's exiting from the failed Katie Marie summoning charm, she looks into the bookcase and sees the history of England and Canada. And she makes a plan about tomorrow while she's looking at the book. And I paused it. I wanted to know what other books there were. There was only a stack of three and I really wanted to know. And I, there's, you can't see. I was so disappointed. Well, there's a whole bunch of books above it too. Leather bound volumes filling the top two shelves too. Oh yeah. They were lovely books. They were decorator books. I mean, you know, (laughs) not then they were actually books, but. But now now, the book by the yard books that people that stage model houses buy literally by the yard. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we wake up again. It's morning, but guess what? There's no rooster. I was shocked. Did they listen to me? <laughs> no. Um, there is a beautiful bluff and the ocean and the waves crashing. And Anne is getting ready for her day. And she comes downstairs and she says, isn't it great? Every day can be an adventure. And Marilla's just looking at her like, who are you, child? Anne figures out a way to go grab that history book. And she tells Marilla from the other room, she's excited because she's going to learn about Flip pages, flip pages. The District of Saskatchewan that day. Isn't that a delicious word to say, she says? <laughs> Saskatchewan. So I think Anne is actually genuinely cheerful this morning because she's got her plan. She knows full well that she's not going to school. So she, mm-hmm. who cares about that? She's going to spend the day in the woods. And she has an exciting new book to read. And in her duplicitous plan, it fits in nicely because Marilla is going to ask her about Saskatchewan at the end of the day. And Anne will have an answer for her, which is lovely. Except the look on Marilla's face, I read it as a combination of amusement with a suspicious chaser. (laughs) Well, and I wrote, of course, my word again, information muggle. (laughs) <laughs> because there are times that you could hold forth with facts, and I'm sure we've done it to all of you, my listeners, and you guys are like, you know what? Don't care. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Marilla's just waiting for her to leave, frankly. Um, okay, so one thing we see, though, I am very glad to have freeze-framed at this moment. Verified by the Prop Master's calendar, it is October 1896. Oh, my gosh. Was brilliant. I missed that. And I really find myself loving also the light over the dining table. If you guys want to go back and look, it is an oil lamp that is trapped within a reflector and an iron filigree hanger. Mm -hmm. It is very, very good. The set designer is doing such a great job with this particular house. Uh, So I just wanted to say those few things. It's October 1896. That was a piece of knowledge that I circled about four times. (laughs) And I just wrote down. And I'm circling it. (laughs) That's amazing. Good job. So there's a thing that Anne says at the very end on her way out that you might just think of as a throwaway line. But if you've already seen the episode and you're watching this for the second time, you think, oh, ho, that was a bit of foreshadowing that I didn't get. Anne says, I hope you don't envy me too much in this time of learning of my young life. I think that's going to come up later. I think so. Jerry on the front porch notes that Anne is staying later at school than usual. She must really like it. Um, you know, I think it's really sad that Jerry has to have his four o'clock tea on the back porch. He doesn't even get to go inside to eat his little snack. Yeah, but Marilla has cleaned the floor already at, you know, what, 10 a.m. And there's no way he's going to be bringing in his muddy barn boots into the house. Well, Matthew gets to come in at four o'clock. Matthew's name is on the house. She can't really control him. 
in this area. So Anne is about uh, an hour to an hour and a half late at this point. I love having had the time stamp from before as to what time tea is and what time, you know, school is over. So that's mm-hmm. good. So it's not Anne, in fact, that we see coming through the gate. It is Ruby and Diana. I have been wondering and wondering what the name of that gate thing is. I mean, it appears in almost every episode. People struggle through that gate mm-hmm. and uh, on their way in and out. And I just anticipated this giant rabbit hole that I was going to go down. And no, it's it's called a V-shaped human pass-through. Everyone still uses them. It's not even an antique thing. It's not even like a remarkable thing. They're too tight of a turn for, what am I going to say, horizontal creatures to make it around? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, vertical creatures like humans don't have to keep opening and closing a gate. You can get through, but horses and the like cannot. The end. Right. Right. It's not Vish- even more romantic than that. <laughs> it's super cute, though. I do love it. Every time she comes through it, I'm like, that must be fun to like walk in that just that one little maze corner. I don't know. So Jerry's day is so boring until he is like one of those cartoon characters that see a pretty lady and their eyes come out of their head (laughs) this like ooga 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 thing you know ruby and diana have come in and he straightens up his act and his hat (laughs) and he does he smooths down his barn coat and he gives them their his best hello ladies They are so dismissive. I mean, is it because he's a servant or because he's a strange boy or he's a ridiculous boy at all and we're at that age? I I don't know, but I can't gush enough about that little actor. He is adorable. I mean, he's so good at this role. And I know it's he was just like one or two lines in the original books, but I am always glad when I see him on screen because this was such a good addition to the story, I think. He is so good. I hope he grows up and becomes <clears throat> James Bond or something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like something big. Like, I hope he is a notable actor of the future. His name is Emmerich Jet Montage, and he owns a hedgehog. (laughs) And so, little Emmerich Montage, you have made a friend in Susan who wants nothing more than a hedgehog. I do. I do. I do so badly. So inside, Marilla is interrupted from her cleaning by a knock on the door. And she is so surprised that anyone is at the front door. Like, again, no one for 40 years and now two in a month. Like, <laughs> just cracking me up. <laughs> um, so who is it at the door? It's Diana. Oh, Kel Surprise. It's Diana. Um, and who else? Who is this? You know, it's Miss Ruby Gillis. Very formal. And Ruby Gillis is honestly weirdly reluctant to play along with any of this. She was very reluctantly dragged into this scenario. So Diana um, explains that everyone's been worried about her, which kind of confuses Marilla, who does get it, but keeps it all inside. Mm-hmm. Um, good for her. I Maybe living in a formal society really trains you to hide your shock well because she did a good job. And Diana says, is she truly never coming back to school? I... Uh, thought that's where she was literally right now Hmm. but only in her head you know yeah and diana says please tell Anne we miss her very much and um marilla makes some excuses to where Anne is and i thought that marilla was worried about Anne and kind of realizing kind of like to what length she has been driven to escape school like she had i thought tears in her eyes but evidently not she is mad Oh, there's, yeah. There's no understanding of anybody's predicament. She is freaking mad. Oh, I, and I don't blame her. She's just been seriously lied to by her kid. You know, the the line that you read 
Um, is she truly not coming back to school? Before that just cracked me up. Diana said, Anne's too sensitive for this world. That's what she told me anyway. <laughs> and then at every opportunity, Ruby's like so clearly not team Anne yet. Because when she realizes that Anne might not be coming back to school, she's like, well, if she's not, we can sit together, Diana. Which is why I think she went with Diana, just so she could go somewhere with Diana. Oh, I didn't think about that. Maybe so. Maybe. And she's really unwilling to be drawn to the point where Diana says, we were worried about her. And then Ruby says, well, mostly Diana was concerned. (laughs) Exactly. It's good for this episode for her to be established as not Team Anne. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. So... Anne, where has she been? She's been in an outhouse. <laughs> I think it might be an old hunting cabin. Like a random shelter for whoever needs it. Okay, so they're always either constructing these or finding them or going to them in these Alaska shows my husband is always watching. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. like these little rough cabins that have nothing in them but like a stove and a door to keep you from dying. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that's what it was, but it looks like an outhouse to me. It's about that size. <laughs> it's lacking the bench on the inside, however, and the, you know, Sears Roebuck catalog. Well, that's what makes me think it's not. And it's got little curly no. things. and uh, Yeah, no, 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 it's not. It's not an outhouse, but it sure as heck looks like it. It's not much shelter because you can see her breath. Mm-hmm. So it's You're freezing right. cold. What I like that I didn't understand until I watched it the second time is outside there are some sticks and logs stacked up with a tree that's been decorated with little berries. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we now see what she was doing yesterday with notebook. Yeah. Yeah. She was decorating. Mm-hmm. The shack itself, it was lots of... Uh, Lots of places for a draft to get in. It was very cold in there, but she just made it as homey as possible. It's like even tilting. It's like almost ready to fall down. <laughs> one more one more nor'easter, that thing's going over. So she talks about, um, what would my name be? My fire-haired dreamer, she who speaks with trees, kindred spirit. This whole time she's talking to a series of pine cones. Let's call the main pine cone Wilson, the volleyball. (laughs) It seems that humans have to have some kind of society. I don't even know. But um, it is apparent from her conversation to Wilson that she fully plans to come back tomorrow and continue the lesson to her students, the pine cones. That's right. That's Miss Kindred Spirit to you. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, I also had a hidey hole like that uh, at my former job. (laughs) (laughs) I was hiding from uh, the boss's horrible wife. Only mine uh, was a supply closet, and I had the advantage of heat. Mm. Nice. And also (laughs) Wi-Fi. Yeah, there's no Wi-Fi in Anne's outhouse cabin shack clubhouse. (laughs) That's funny. So Anne arrives back in Green Gables, and Marilla and Matthew are standing in the kitchen like any other set of parents who are awaiting for someone to come in past curfew, caught in a lie, etc. One, that would be Matthew, is dreading the scene to come and is pretty sad because he can't stop this train. <laughs> and the other one, that would be Marilla, ready to make this lesson, whatever this lesson's going to be, stick to the kid in the strongest way possible. I know. <laughs> Usually it's a role reversal because isn't it usually the mom that's like, oh no, this is not going to be good. And the dad's like, mm mm 
Oh, that's interesting because that would be certainly fitting for the this episode. Well, that's not how it's going to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean it's it, it with the woman doing what's typically a man's job. Ah, very good. Yes. So, yes. fitting the theme. Uh, nothing more, really, except for the fact that when Anne realizes, <laughs> she comes in chattering about blah, 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 my day, this, I learned a lot, Saskatchewan, blah, 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 blah. And when she sees the books on the table, the look on her face is one of those classic photographic moments that we've been talking about. They kind of freeze a little too long. I mean, in a good way, on her face. It's a good, like, dun-dun-dun moment. <laughs> You know, in this episode, because we were looking at Anne's face close up, her freckles are starting to look fake to me. Oh. Like, in some scenes, they're really a little too symmetrical, I thought. Um, I didn't overanalyze them, but they uh, caught my attention, which means that there was something about them that was that stood out, I guess. I wonder now, if Amy it's going to turn out that Amy McNulty is fully freckled and these are her real-life freckles. I would love that, although the pictures that I was looking at, maybe she had makeup on, but... There was very few freckles. I don't know. It would be nice to ask her. <laughs> Tell us how many freckles you have on your nose. Are they lined up perfectly, like in this scene? Well, I have to say that Anne, at least in books two and three of book Anne, has seven freckles on her nose. So she knows how many freckles there are. So it can't be this many freckles. Right. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's and also there's... a useless detail that I have stuck in my head. Thank you, brain cell, <laughs> for activating and thank you, thank you, microphone, for letting you like regurgitate it out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so the next scene we have is Jerry, the constant gate opener. He lives for that. He opens the gate for the carriage of, it turns out to be the minister when he arrives at Green Gables. And I think this carriage is called a broom B R O U G H A M. Which was kind of the fanciest car from like 50 years before this. Anyway, the Model T body was based on the broom. So if you look at the back of this thing, you can kind of see the Model T. That's what made me think that's the carriage that it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the Model T comes out not that long away, like from this time. So anyway, um, carriage experts can correct me, but I'm 95% sure that's what that is. I'm going to tell you this, book experts are, are fuming right now because <laughs> this minister is no Reverend Allen and Mrs. Allen. That is for sure. But what? remember the previous preacher before Mr. Allen came, who Anne thought was not a good preacher at all, and that Mrs. Lind could do a far better job of preaching than Mr. What's-His-Name. Oh. This might be that true. guy. Oh, okay. I can accept that. Totally. All right. I'm going to have that in my head. I'm not as angry. <laughs> yeah, because I know I know what you're saying. Because Mr. Allen and Mrs. Allen, for those of you who haven't read the books in a long time, are the delightful kindred spirits, especially the wife. Um, but before they came, before, you know, curmudgeonly sauce left, he was totally inept and Anne thought he was boring and his doctrine sucked. And she got through the sermons by looking out the window. And that's the only way she made it through church. Oh, I hope that in the second running of this particular series, they cover that because that would totally fit. That would totally be that guy, that Mr. What did you call him? Minister Curmudgeon. <laughs> Minister Curmudgeon. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Phew, I feel better now. Okay. So I might need you to talk about this a little bit. I, okay, so Marilla is kind of killing me here. She's talking about how Anne lied and then lied again. And then she says, we knew we had to bring this to you. 
Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what is happening? Well, actually, it's kind of important in this particular episode because Marilla is going to have to start to like mull about something in her mind that she's never really thought about before. And one of those things is her relationship with the church. What does the Bible really say? And is there something else? I've just been listening. Then they've been telling me this stuff and, you know, that you are my guide and all that. But is there another way? I don't know. I was disturbed by her willingness to lay this problem at that guy's feet because I didn't consider him a worthy judge. Hmm. So anyway, remember, Ruby didn't even want to tell a polite white lie that she missed Anne at the door. So lying has some ramifications that, I don't know, seem to transcend the level of, I don't know, concern that I would have about it. But whatever. Okay, so (laughs) I don't know. I don't understand it. But this minister is a pompous jerk. Book Anne is with me on this, I will tell you. He says, honesty is the best policy. And it makes him in infuriated when she questions the word policy and he (laughs) says it doesn't matter what you think which i drew an asterisk about because i think he really believes that it literally doesn't matter what people think as long as they do what he says do not think oh yeah totally he believes that his advice to them is god-given he says it's divinely inspired i'm so glad that you brought this to me i'm the guy this is what God says, because he's using me as a conduit right now. And then when Marilla and Anne talk, the look on his face, I okay, I'm going to write his little thought bubble in the, in the comic book. Women who speak and have opinions? It's like a dog walking on two legs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He goes on to say, well, this is easily solved. I have the solution. No more school. She should learn proper housekeeping until she marries. Every young woman should learn how to be a good wife. And I found myself wondering if this had been Marilla's father's viewpoint, his exact viewpoint. Because later in the episode, she says, in my day, we had no choices. Mm -hmm. And even later in the series, she says, I was needed at home. Mm -hmm. Those 50-year-old feelings of unfairness and rage, I believe, are beginning to come to the surface right now. They have Mm -hmm. lain dormant. But something has unlocked the Kraken. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the minister saying they should stay home and learn housekeeping until she marries. It's like, oh, a what? <laughs> that was her switch right there. I love the looks on Anne and Merla's faces, though. It's like, and his face, like Anne's face is in shock of what she just heard. And Merla's face is in shock because... Oh my gosh, really? Are you saying this to me, an unmarried woman? And then the minister's face is like totally proud of his divinely given wisdom. (laughs) Just their faces. There doesn't need to be any dialogue. It's like, wow. And Matthews is like, well, this isn't going well. No, exactly. You know, and there's a minister. He's like quoting Genesis about why God made women and it was to be a companion to man. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) That's why I'm here. I'm here just to serve you according to what God says. And there are, I'm afraid to say, um, and I'm sorry if I'm offending people, people who truly believe that now. They, they truly believe it. That's how they live their lives, both men and women. So there you go. We're all on a spectrum. Okay, so they're out at the well, Marilla and Anne, getting water and just, uh, you know, Anne's like, la, 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 la. Never thought I'd be a wife, actually. It's kind of surprising. Blah, 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 blah. She's really not saying too much of substance, but she actually has bounced back quite well. Marilla, on the other hand, um, she has not bounced back very well. It's still 
deeply bubbling within Marilla these feelings, and finally she has to shoo Anne away because she cannot even think. The only thing I have on this scene that I really wrote down to look for is I really like the far overhead shot of them at the well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really pretty. Yeah, and I like that um, what the minister said kind of brought them back together onto the same level, you know, playing field, sort of. I mean, Marilla is still processing. And we have to realize that Marilla is in her 50s. She hasn't been exposed to that kind of thinking before, even at the progressive women's sewing circle. So this is all new to her. And, you know, we have changed over time um, because we have seen that there's other ways to be or we have been the first person to go the other way, you know. So uh, this is all new to Marilla. And Anne is only 13. So she's, you know, she's still accepting new ideas and still forming who she is. So she's probably able to process that kind of thing a little bit easier than Marilla, who's like, thought she was done learning stuff. Her life was her life the way it was, but maybe not. So Anne heads into the barn to help, I guess, help in quotes, do (laughs) some chores in the barn. But instead, she, of course, reclines in the hay (laughs) and talks to Jerry or, you know, Anne talks and he agrees with her. I love this brotherly attitude. I have quite a temper. Yes, you do. I'm this. Yes, you are. And then she says, I'm homely and ugly and you better not say anything. (laughs) And he gives her a smarmy, smiley look that makes my heart feel so happy. (laughs) And the thing about this, she says, boys can do anything they want. And his answer is very good. You can go to school, not me. I know. How about that, Anne? Boys cannot do anything they want. His tone, all I heard was, B, I'd rather be in school than working with hay all day. What are you, stupid, Anne? Inside the house, uh, Marilla is looking at the books that the girls have brought. Okay, can you see the past ricocheting around Marilla's head? We don't know it yet in the series, but the phrase is, until she marries, and I was needed at home, are chasing each other around Marilla's head. And Anne and Marilla are literally having the same sort of reaction to the minister's words. But Anne is looking at it like, huh, an unexpected door has opened. Not sure if I like that door. Never thought I'd be a wife, huh? But Marilla is viewing all the closed doors down that same hallway of life, I think. But yeah, I thought exactly what you did. And I think there's another missing flashback here. I'm in Marilla's head this time, not in Anne's. I love the piano music they got playing right here. Oh, I wrote that down too. Yes, I did too. So while Marilla is mulling all that over, back in the barn, Anne is out loud dreaming about her future and, you know, what she could be. And Jerry is dealing with the hay and she challenges him to dream bigger about his own world. You know, she says, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? And he's like, oh, I could be a Smitty. He had two job options, you know, butcher or, or metalsmith. And that was his choices. Well, he's not seeing a wide range of opportunities. And if you think about it, like, well, he's firmly in the servant class now, or at least mm-hmm. the workman class. He's not going to inherit a farm or anything. Mm-mm. You know, his response was, I do this. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. I have no choices, literally, right in front of you. And guess what? I'm a boy. I know. Well, you know, her choices are a little crazy. You could be a cartographer, an aviator. <laughs> you could lead a safari. And he's like, I don't understand you. I mean, I literally don't understand any of the words you just said. <laughs> well, that just, I know, that goes back to his education that he's not getting. There is a certain callousness toward Jerry, who really is also a child, lest we forget. 
mm-hmm. that he's not entitled to an education, I guess. Yeah, right? she is thrilled for her possibilities of her life, things she could do because Joan of Arc didn't have an education, right? <laughs> and Jerry's like, or you could just go to school because you can. I know, yeah. like stop overanalyzing. Although he doesn't know the word overanalyzing. Yeah, no, that's right. Because he can't go to school. He has to help support his family. Ugh. I love Jerry. Anyway, Marilla is deep in thought inside the house. Deep in thought. Like she is fugue stating. And Rachel comes and Rachel is worried about her in not a surface way. She really kind of sees like, oh no, there is something dark going on here. The stove's out even. Mm-hmm. And that's just a sin. I guess if we're talking about sin. You let the stove go out? Something's very wrong. Rachel says, this isn't like you. And Marilla says, I have no idea what's like me. None at all. Ugh. Talk about your precipice of change, you know. She's on the cliff. She doesn't know which way to go. She really doesn't know. She's about to have some big changes because you have to. You realize you can't keep living the way you are. It's not you. I have had that happen several times in my life where you realize, mm-hmm. okay, we are going up the roller coaster hill. Mm-hmm. And I see it coming, mm-hmm. the change. I'm not 100% comfortable, but obviously can't get off this train at this point. Right. Uh, okay. But later by the fire in the night, Matthew is smoking his pipe, which means obviously that his mind is in turmoil. And he says, I suppose your mind is burdened about the minister's visit. And he is a very insightful man. I think he knows. I mean, he was there in her teen years. After all, the teen years we don't see till later in this series. (laughs) But she, man, her response. Is there anything I can bake or clean or mend or fetch for you? She has a realization that she has been living in a box others put her in. And not only that, they devalued her for not closing the top by marrying somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that she is, in essence, Matthew's servant. She's put on this earth, according to her interpretation of what the minister said, she was put on this earth to serve a man, and Matthew is that man. I mean, not in a creepy way. No, no, I know. I I thought it was really interesting, because that same line of thinking, it sounds like, you know, another wave of feminism later on in the late 1900s, you know. What? There's more to my life than walking around in high heels and wearing pearls and cooking and baking and taking care of my family. There's more. Yeah. That actually kind of um, sounds like what happened after the fifties, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what, Mm -hmm. yeah. That was the time I was talking about. Yeah. Fifties to early seventies. Now Anne is in bed. It's nighttime. She's sleeping and she's under this gorgeous, gorgeous bedspread. Uh Uh-huh. When she hears loud bells like clattering and they wake her up. So she runs to the window and she sees that there's a house very nearby that's on fire and she sees Matthew riding off on the horse to go towards it. So she heads out to the hallway where Marilla is always, you know, she's so calm in the face of chaos. She's always, you know, business as usual. Let's do this and this and this. They get ready to go off to the fire themselves. Now going back to that bedspread, one of our listeners whose name is Randy, she sent us a whole bunch of um, information about the handicrafts in this series and the lace coverlet that Anne is sleeping under at this point. She said, this is a crocheted lace coverlet. She's 90% sure of that. It might be knit lace or some parts knit, but definitely not bobbin lace. Uh, Assuming this is homemade, it would be a very nice luxury on a guest bed, but it's not easy to make. And it is not as toasty as a quilt, which is kind of interesting considering the time of year it is, but 
dang, that's a really pretty coverlet. Well, and it's also a very fancy Princess Cordelia hat. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Which is why it's there in the first place, I guarantee you. Yeah, well, it would have been the guest room. And they just left it on the bed. And I bet you Anne is not willing to give that up until she's, you know, really, really cold. It's so pretty. So I have to say I was watching this and taking notes and my child was passing by, as Marilla said, quick, like a bunny. And he burst out laughing because I say that all the time. Uh, so do I. That's funny. And then also I noticed that Marilla can hitch up with no Jerry. She oh. just chooses not to. Well, because she doesn't have to. It's not her job. Just like cooking and cleaning isn't Matthew's job. So they get every bucket and blanket on the premises. Uh, they feed the pigs on the way, waste not, whatnot, um, with those <laughs> buckets and take the buckets with them. And they arrive at the house that's on fire. It's the Gillis house, we find out. And all the neighbors, at least all the male neighbors, mm -hmm. I didn't see any ladies really hauling buckets but anyway um they're putting out the fire with a bucket brigade and ultimately after they get a ladder gilbert is on the roof splashing water on the flames and the family's all safe we see ruby and her two little sisters and baby sex to be determined we don't know diana is happy to see Anne again after the week or week and a half but the severity of the situation is the, you know they're they have this happy reunion and then realize where they are Anne's first response was Poor Ruby. Anna's a very good person because she mm -hmm. doesn't like Ruby. Ruby doesn't like her. Her first thought is poor Ruby. See, I know. She is so nice. She is. And that that reached out to me, too, because you know that Ruby, who's kind of uh, flighty, I guess, and she doesn't have a really good filter. Um, her first thoughts, you know, would have been, well, I guess Anne really isn't coming back to school anytime soon because they're going to have to rebuild that house. So I guess we can sit together, Diana. Kids don't realize the implications of things like they're very self-centered, which, you know, they have to be because they're developing themselves. But Anne is years above everybody else and Ruby is years behind. <laughs> that is true. Well, Anne is looking at the fire and realizing that the doors and windows are open in the house, which she kind of whispers to herself, why are they open? And so the fire wagon arrives, which is kind of like the little push car train cars where one guy pushes down, then the other guy pushes down, and then they pump the water out. So it's arriving, and that's occupying everybody's attention as Anne gets to work. Everyone about Diana. Anne is dunking multiple blankets and a water trough, and she runs inside the house. And the only person that sees her go is Diana, who cannot believe that just happened. No, she is screaming, no, 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 Anne, Anne, no. I mean, she is really fearful for her friend. Who would run into a burning house? So we cut to inside the smoky and flame-filled house. Anne is running around, closing doors, and then she puts a blanket underneath the door sill. Gilbert, who's on the porch roof throwing buckets into the window, the look on his face when he sees Anne, I cannot even describe it. It's like John Lithgow's face when he sees that alien on the wing of the plane. <laughs> he's afraid he can't believe it's happening is anybody else seeing this obviously i have inhaled too much smoke you know he kind of can't believe it downstairs the group of women realize that Anne has gone inside the house and marilla starts screaming about wanting to go get her and they're all staring at the door diana's mother's there diana marilla rachel's there 
Oh, and Rachel, yes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. How can and I they, get Rachel? I don't know, but they're all physically restraining Marilla from running right in behind Anne. And they're all, they, you know, they're praying. There's uh, someone saying the Lord's Prayer really loudly. It's um, got to be Diana's mother because it's in a British accent. Oh, excellent. Just to make us all realize that it's Anne closing the windows when someone shouts, the fire is slowing down. They point out the fact that the fire wagon with the pump on it is broken and Matthew's trying to fix it. So it's not the fire wagon arriving that's putting out the fire. It's Anne closing all those doors and windows that's slowing it down. There's a couple of flashes in between. This is, I mean, it it flashes back and forth between these scenarios. Anne's progress inside uh, it's like this tiny drama inside the larger one. You know, there's Anne who's struggling to survive at one point. There's the women who are the only ones that realize that Anne's in great danger. And then there's the big danger of the fire that everybody's concerned with. They see a window come down and Marilla goes, is that her? And I have to say, Diana, the actress that plays Diana, does a great despair face. Her mouth is nearly square. <laughs> <laughs> And I I actually thought at one point, I caught my brain thinking, I don't think she's going to make it. At one point, though, of course, ideally, a series called Anne with an E probably includes an Anne. <laughs> Which brought me back to my senses a little bit like, oh, well, that takes a little of the suspense away, you know. I think so. I think so. Oh, that's funny. That whole scene was only three minutes long. I mean, a lot of things happened in it. Anne nearly killed herself. The townspeople were able to see how brave she was. Anne and Gilbert both earned street cred as the bravest people in town. And uh, with a big underline, Anne did what no boy or guy there could do. She thought to do it and she did it. When she staggered out, Jerry was sent over to see what the deal was and they kind of put it too plainly what anyway jerry screams back it was Anne. it was Anne who slowed the fire she did it so now we all know that they know and then marilla says what were you doing and Anne explains well fire needs oxygen and if you close windows and doors it deprives it of oxygen uh, marilla could not understand how she could possibly know that and Anne says the funniest thing well it was the fire manual in the orphanage there wasn't much else to read which makes me wonder, so where's Jane Eyre? Where's Frankenstein? I know. I know. Where's all that poetry? I know. The next day, um, everyone is standing around the burnt house. I mean, they hadn't gone back home yet. They all have blankets on them. They're all covered with soot. But the fire is out. The town folk are all standing around the minister, who I did not recall seeing the night before, but maybe I just missed him in the chaos. Jerry looks over at her with the face, I can't even tell you how cute this is because I accidentally freeze framed on this. Mm-hmm. He looks over, Jerry does, to Anne and says, maybe you could be a firefighter. And I- oh my God, her grin back at him in full smoke face. If you can freeze frame that and look at that, the look she gives him is the most adorable thing I've ever seen in this series yet. Oh yeah, they totally, the relationship, that's when he like becomes on team Anne, I think that night. And they're standing right next to each other. I mean, their shoulders are touching. They both have the blankets wrapped around them. They're like a brother and a sister because all the families are, you know, all standing together in this congregation outside the burnt house. Yeah, very brother and sister like because, you know, at some point, brothers and sisters stop arguing all the time. (laughs) I mean, they pick it up later in life. But, you know, there's a time when they are their biggest fans. There's a long time that they are. And that's when I think when Jerry becomes Anne's. 
So the men uh, agree with each other that uh, they should get it functional in about a week. I do love how everyone pulls together in this situation. You know we don't like Diana's father, but he is just as willing as anyone else to come Mm -hmm. over there in his waistcoat and swing a hammer with all the help he can bring. No one thinks a thing of it. Like, of course we'll help you because when bad things happen to us, we know you will also come. And it was just a given. So Rachel has a plan because, you know, she does. She's handled it. Um, the Gillis family is all going to be kind of billeted out in different people's houses. And won't it be nice? Because there's room. Ruby is going to go home with Anne and Marilla. And Ruby's horrible. She says, I'll never live it down. Please don't make me. Like out in public, she's throwing this temper tantrum. Now, I do realize that she's just been through a very traumatic ordeal. You know, she's already not a big fan of Anne. But yeah, that was pretty bratty, I think. Very rude. And I was kind of wondering about Marilla's willingness to smile at Ruby there at the end. And then I rewatched it and I saw Diana's. Diana is such a good friend. She said, I think Anne is marvelous and brave. It doesn't matter what everyone thinks, Ruby. It matters what you think. And I think when Marilla saw that Anne was okay with it, because you know what? She's going to be okay. She has Diana. um, And Anne's sort of okay with Ruby too. Like, I can't win everybody. I think she's just willing to... I, Marilla and Anne show more forgiveness to people than I would, but it's an admirable <laughs> quality, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Anne's been trying to tell Marilla how bad it is at school. And Ruby saying, you know, it doesn't matter what the others think. It kind of says to Marilla, oh, Anne wasn't exaggerating. This isn't one of her tales. She really did have it bad. And she's seeing it play out in front of her. You know, Ruby being so rude and so dismissive. And then Anne is so sweet. She's like, no one will think we're friends. It's okay. (laughs) Sad. (laughs) I know, but she does know what it feels like to survive a trauma. You know, that's true. So was she being too kind or was she just trying to be sympathetic and say the things that she knew Ruby needed to hear? And maybe that's all she was doing is just trying to calm Ruby down. Well, the next scene, I love the photographicness of it the two blanket cape wearing grumpy girls with messy hair at the table adorable adorable ruby is not well with this whole situation and Anne is sort of resigned to like oh this is going to be an awkward week but not sad necessarily and then Anne, on her way upstairs to show ruby where the bedroom is says the cherry tree is very friendly and you can see on ruby's face like what the hell (laughs) yeah yeah that's true so ruby and ann are upstairs in the gable room bed and ruby is crying you know ruby's house did just burn down i Mm -hmm. it's not good um and ann is trying to make her feel better she's telling her about princess cordelia and you know tries to make Ruby feel better, which I think is adorable. She says, one day, Princess Cordelia arrived in the most beautiful kingdom in the world. She knew no one and was afraid no one would like her, which is an obvious allegory that Ruby just misses. (laughs) Like Ruby doesn't understand that. And Ruby answers, all of my dresses will be ruined by the smoke. (laughs) And Anne, without thinking for one second, says, you can borrow one of mine. I have two. And I do hearts, 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 hearts. (laughs) I can't add anything to that. I do know that um, she does keep going, though. She's trying to really make Ruby feel better and just kind of calm her down. And she's trying to get Ruby to be excited about 
how fast this week is going to go. They're not in school, so no one's going to see them, right? She's talking about the color of Ruby's room when they redo it. She gets to pick a new color for her room. You know, what color are you going to pick? She's getting her invested in her future. And then she says the thing that flips the switch for Ruby. She reminds Ruby that Gilbert himself put the fire out on her behalf. And she's not saying this is a Gilbert Blythe fan, that's for sure. But he did this for you, Ruby. And, and Ruby's like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. And we can make biscuits for the boys and take them over there so you can see Gilbert. And then Ruby says, it's a shame you're not in school. You seem awfully smart about some things. All right. I think we need to order ourselves another Team and t-shirt for Ruby. I don't know. Not quite yet. Well, okay. Another page, I think we can. So we open at Gillis House Reconstruction Site, where the annoying preacher yells, Put your backs into it, boys. Just gross. Just go home. Anne and Ruby show up with biscuits. They say biscuits. I assume they meant cookies. It looks like scones. I don't really know what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I just assumed it was scones. Okay. Because the dudes later say cookies for the Americans, I guess. But I don't know. It could be a whole bunch of stuff in there. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But so the gross preacher mops his freaking forehead with his handkerchief as if he says, oh, it's this is some heavy work. Walking around shouting to people. Whatever. And so Anne says, I'm learning to bake, which is exactly what the preacher told her to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you like a biscuit? And of course he takes one. Of course he does. Because that's proper lady work. Oh, good. She's following my advice. That's right. So Billy Andrews is a dirtbag. He is an unmitigated dirtbag. I mean, not book Billy Andrews. We know this, right? Right. We actually feel sorry for book Billy Andrews. But this Billy Andrews, I got nothing. So he (laughs) yells out, it's the freak and her new twin sister. Is that called for? Is it called for? No, it's not called for. Ruby, of course, doesn't hear any of this because I think she'd be bummed about being called the new twin sister. But she just sees the halo around Gilbert, who's on the roof, which is why it is so bad when she trips as, oh, so embarrassing. And I feel for her. I really do. Three years of liking this guy comes down to this moment, face down in the mud. (laughs) No, I know. Horrible. It seems as though Billy has forgotten that Anne last night, just 24 hours ago, had done what no man anywhere in town could do. And she helped put out the fire because he yells at her, girls are so useless, go home and bake biscuits. To which Gilbert replies, they already did. I love how he puts it. <laughs> Newsflash, they did. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, what? Ugh. So Billy... Goes back in, doubles down, and says, go home and leave the men to work. And is like, why don't you give me that hammer so I can finish the job myself if you're too busy being a bully to get it done? And I want you to watch this and watch the men's faces. All of them. Even <laughs> Matthews. Which reminds me of this scene in The West Wing where Sam Seaborn is on TV getting smacked by this adorably beautiful Republican commentator where his co-workers back at the White House were like, come quick, Sam's getting his kicked by a girl. <laughs> That's like exactly the same scene. I want you to look at Diana's dad especially. He is so full of delight that rainbows are shooting out of his head. <laughs> then we move to full-on sense and sensibility. Jane Austen, Gilbert, Willoughby, Helping Ruby Dashwood up gallantly. (laughs) And she's got eyes for nobody else. Oh, what has my past been? It has all come to this moment. You know, like, 
You can hear the violins, but you can't really hear them because they didn't put them in. They're all in Ruby's head. Uh, so Gilbert says to Anne, thanks for coming by to help feed the beasts. And he doesn't know how to act around Anne. It's, he is such a good actor. <laughs> he is like a big, friendly dog around a prickly cat. You've all seen those YouTube videos. Yeah. Like, can't we be nice? Can't we be friends? No, smack. No, smack. Come on. Can't we be friends? <laughs> Just a little bit of friends. No, smack. It's so sad. <laughs> Anne gets another dig to an enemy on the way out when she says to the preacher, honesty really is the best policy and it's very satisfying. And she exits. <laughs> I love the uh, line that comes after that where Ruby says, Gilbert is so chivalrous. You know, she's still in the dreamy Gilbert Blythe state. And Anne mutters under her breath, he's so something, all right. I love that. <laughs> I laughed out loud. That was great. I did, too. Those were the two I'm having a problem deciding between as my favorite. Jerry and Gilbert? No, the last two lines we were just talking about. Oh, 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 yes. In the Green Gables barn, Matthew is fixing a very disturbing looking piece of machinery. Hmm, I don't know what that is. I wish somebody would tell me. And he praises her bravery. She thinks he's insulting her because, uh, you know, he mentions that was quite a scene. And she goes, well, you can't beat a redhead for temper. And he goes, no, 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 about how brave you were. I'm not. And he goes, if you were a boy, whoa, that would have ended up in fisticuffs. And then they have this adorable fake boxing scenario that I love so much. Protect the nose, he says, and they like fake box and mm -hmm. she calls herself Avonlea Ace. And uh -huh. they bob and they weave and it's <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, that was really cute. That was that's a that's a relationship right there. It's so real. With the boys, that's certainly something my husband would have done. Um I thought he was fixing a wagon wheel. No? I don't know. That machine it almost looked like some kind of um thing to draw lines for seeds oh, or something. It had like mm -hmm. spiky bits all on it. Maybe because that's when he would be fixing stuff over the winter. I don't know. It or looked like if it ran over a rabbit, there you go. That's <laughs> no more rabbit. Yeah. Now we are in the woods back at Anne's little hideout, her little don't call me an outhouse hideout. <laughs> and it's the first meeting of the Avonlea Story Club. And that meeting is Ruby and Diana and Anne. They're all wearing ferns around like a wreath on their head. And there's a candle in burning. So they have light because it is nighttime, which I thought was kind of weird that they were out at night. But okay. And they're talking about writing. And Anne is totally back to her old self. She's able to harness her creativity and her imagination in a positive manner. And she's doing it with the story club. They're all going to write stories. They have pens and they have paper and they're going to write something. And she's really really leading the group. Ruby was a little bit confused about what to write about. That was exactly the opening that Anne needed to step in with. Um, how about I give you a prompt? A tale of romance, most divine and tragical. So I have to tell you, I love Ruby's little vapid face. I am cracking up when she says delightedly, I hardly know what you're saying half the time. And I started to laugh. It's like that scene in Zoolander where the lady says she's bulimic and they go, oh, you can read minds. <laughs> she is such a dodo, but she's pretty cute. So this yeah. part is medium book accurate. Jane Andrews is the fourth book story club member, and she's evidently been erased and replaced by her brother Billy in importance in this series. I guess you can't have too many Andrews, but so Jane Andrews would have been there in the book. 
Mm-hmm. Also, Ellen Montgomery, the uh, writer of Anne of Green Gables, had a story club herself as a girl. So not only is it book accurate, it's biography accurate. The next thing we see is the girls are back in bed now. They're all safe. They're back from their club meeting. And it's Ruby's last night at the Cuthbert's. And she actually says, I'll miss you, Anne. And if you look at Anne's face, she is very moved. I think she's starting to cry. Come on. Can we put her on team, Anne, now? Sure. Yes. Yes. So Anne heads out of the bedroom with a candle in another very striking photographic moment. If you were to freeze frame there, it is a little halo of candlelight around Anne in a doorway. It's quite beautiful. (laughs) But where she's going is off to Marilla to have a conversation. She has a quandary, she says. Takes her a while to get to it, I'll tell you, man. Marilla is reading Psalm 78, which I find extremely problematic as a passage in any book. And it makes me infuriated for all humanity. So I'm going to stop there. You can read it yourself if you want to. Or if Susan wants to explain it, she can explain it. But I... I will let anybody come to their own conclusions about this. Because I'm certainly not about to whack someone over the head with a slate full of chapter and verse. But let me just read the first um, couple. Therefore, their days... Did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble? When he slew them, then they sought him. And when they returned and inquired early after God, and then they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So it's talking about people who are hypocrites. So I'm not quite sure what she was looking for out of this. But what I took away was that it was talking about people being hypocrites. You know, one what you've been talking about, one thing coming out of their mouth and another thing with their actions. Either Marilla feels the way I do, which is very unlikely, or <laughs> she has got too much on her mind to focus. And she's kind of looking for, I think you alluded to this earlier, some way to reconcile what the preacher says with mm-hmm. how she feels in her heart when it's not matching up. Right. I, I agree. Isn't it bad for your eyesight to read by that candlelight? Well, if you're going to read it all in the winter, you got to get used to that. I guess, although it doesn't work out so good for book Marilla. No, that's true. Although I'd say sewing is probably more her problem than reading. Yeah. So Marilla says to Anne, the preacher's thinking seems a mite old-fashioned to me. You should decide for yourself what you want to do and be. You have a good mind, Anne. You shouldn't limit it. In my day... We didn't get to choose. I think you should make your own decision. And I have to tell you, Marilla, that is progressive parenting. That is my own philosophy. I just love you, Marilla. You have seen the light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what? Every human makes mistakes in getting to become, you know, doing the right thing. There's a lot of missteps in everybody's path. And, you know, what Marilla did was just another one of them. But like everybody else, when you make them, You need to learn from them and and think, which she's clearly been doing, and turn those lessons into actions. And Anne really, really appreciates that. She has a most relieved smile on her face when Marilla says that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that is a very respectful way to treat a young person, I think. Oh, I totally agree. It's very progressive also for this time. Yeah. So we go downstairs the next morning, and Anne puts that history book back, and she has a chat with Katie in the clock glass and is it goodbye forever to dear katie i sure hope so 
<laughs> because I do not like Dear Katie. So she's off to school and I don't know why she would purposely be this late. And I'm guessing to eliminate the possibility of facing gossip, maybe? Because she's purposely late. She's not hurrying. Anyway, she gets there right as class is beginning. Josie Pye is the one that turns around and sees her and says, that orphan's back. Because <laughs> you can always count on a pie to be a dirtbag. <laughs> but thankfully, everybody else in the classroom is very happy to see her, Diane especially. You know, Diane went a little heavy on the fangirling, I think, in this particular episode. She gets kind of a too dreamy, like especially during that club meeting. Just like Anne is, I mean, she loves her. It's a it's parent, but I don't know, I thought it was a little too heavy handed. But Diana is very happy to see her. Ruby is very happy to see her. And the sly little smile on Gilbert Bly's face says he's very happy to see her too. Mr. Phillips is surprisingly friendly. He says her name, but it almost seems like he says Anne Shirley Cuthbert. Because he says it just like that. But it sounds like Anne Shirley Cuthbert, as I live and breathe. Delightful to see you. Like, okay, what have you been drinking? Very friendly. No, why are you late? Who comes into my classroom after blah, blah, blah? Why did you walk away from me last time? We don't even canvas any of that. He just simply says in a very friendly manner, welcome back to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. He had so many opportunities to, you know, slip something in like Josie did, but he didn't take them. So that was good. I liked it. Maybe he had an episode of personal growth after a student literally walked out of his classroom. <laughs> oh, that's true. And then that student went on to save a family. You know, I didn't read this before, but in the beginning of it, um, the Netflix description for this episode was a minister's advice prompts Marilla to question her choices. When tragedy strikes, Anne's intellect saves lives and her sullied reputation. So I wasn't quite sure whose lives were saved. That seemed a bit of overselling to me. Well, yeah, she saved the house. Mm -hmm. The only life she saved was herself by managing to get out of the house, right? True. I don't think you get credit for that. I think that's an mm -mm. instinct. <laughs> no, I know. I do, too. I do, too. Okay. It's now time to rate the show based on the 10 glasses of cordial scale. I actually gave it nine. Yeah, I'm at nine, too. Wow. I know. That is weird. Why, what are your reasons? You know, I have to say, it probably would have been a 9.5, but honestly, the honesty of the Katie Maurice thing made me so disturbed that I took points off, even though, really, technically... Uh, I guess I felt something. Like Frida Kahlo said, art is supposed to make you feel something. It's not always nice things. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, I'd, I would say a nine. There, um, There's just a lot of internal monologue that I really like. I like what's ticking along below the surface. Um, I like the community nature of working together at the fire. I actually gave it a lot of points because there was a lot of um, book and in this one. I mean, there was deviations, obviously, but... Um, there's quite a bit, I thought, that was, you know, they fiddled with it, but it was still something that was in the book, which I always appreciate. Oh, and the relationship between Anne and Jerry cannot be overstated how adorable I think it is, especially right after the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't tell you why I knocked it down a point. I I don't know. I have an episode that I'm reserving the 10 for. Yeah, me, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And I do have my um, special cocktail created and waiting for that particular episode. For this episode, um, I made Mrs. Irving's delicious shortbread. And when I say I, I mean my daughter did. 
because I was at my son's college orientation and I was running out of time and I just sent her a text, but she did it. She made the shortbread and it was indeed delicious. She actually put something out. I don't know if you saw this on uh, either Twitter or Facebook saying that shortbread dough is superb because you can eat it straight out of the bowl with no one warning you about salmonella. And I thought, "Mm, in all my years, I feel free to eat chocolate chip cookie dough right out of the package and I'm alive. So I don't know. I'm not that afraid. And I don't know who that is that's telling her that because it's certainly not her mother. Perhaps it's her inner Katie Maurice. (laughs) Very good. The girl is quite the rule follower. So perhaps. Okay. Well, speaking of eggs, which I think is the ingredient in chocolate chip cookies that you're not supposed to eat raw. Yeah. um, I did make the poetical egg salad sandwiches. Oh, my. And? Me no like. Because I think I am of the viewpoint that if there is no mustard, it is not egg salad chickies. <laughs> and um, there's mint butter on it, which is very poetical. And I have a giant couple of mint plants. And I thought it would be super easy because I have all the ingredients right here. And I was going to make egg salad anyway mm-hmm. for myself. And so I made it that way first. And then I wrecked it up and of Green Gables by putting mustard and pickles in it. Oh, well, I don't like, I don't eat egg salad. It's not one of my foods, but I'm looking at the recipe right now. It needed some tartness and um, it was really um, bland without the addition of my two elements. Hmm. So what do you think? Capers? Or is that too tart? I just put in pickles, uh, dill pickles, and um, I put in dill pickles and a little bit of brown mustard. Oh, yeah. Give it a little kick. Sure. I didn't actually intend to create something out of the cookbook. I just remembered there was poetical egg salad sandwiches. And I thought, well, I guess I could count that if it's close. But I really just defaulted to my usual recipe. Sorry. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but next week's is not in the book. Oh, good. Well, there you go. (laughs) It's a self-creation, which is actually very fitting for Anne with an E because there's a lot of self-creation. in It's a fanfic recipe. That's right. Okay. Hey, listen, we got an email from Megan and she kind of gave us a different perspective about being a redhead than you or I as non-redheads have. This is what she said, quote, I'm a redhead. So my perspective on this is a little different than someone who is not. Redheads are not always, and to some degree are still not treated very kindly. From being told that we do not have a soul to being the spawn of the devil, to being hypersexualized, to the typical redhead temper stereotype, Having red hair makes you an other. The color of your hair becomes who you are, and you're judged as you always stand out in a crowd. I have often been the only redhead in a group. And then she recommends this book, which I haven't read yet, but I'm going to. It's called Red, A History of the Redhead by Jackie Collis Harvey. It's like a history and of you know how redheads were treated throughout time. Cool. Well, you know, one of our favorite queens has red hair, of course, mm-hmm. Elizabeth the first. Mm-hmm. And I do want to give a shout out to little Lana. She is a 13 year old who watches the show on Netflix with her mom and listens to our podcast. And she did say that she liked Gilbert a lot. Uh, my goodness, Lana, he is a good actor, too. I have to tell you the the casting directors did such a good job with those two boys, Jerry and Gilbert. I can't even mm-hmm. get over it. So I wanted to lead you to the exact episodes of Downton Abbey that Evans directed with summaries. There's a website, just in case you're interested, which six. I was very sad to hear that the Lady Edith episode of Downton Abbey where she sets the house on fire was not one of his episodes because wouldn't that have been an amazing fact to share? I wondered where you were going. I'm like, why that episode? There was a lot of good episodes. Also, I'm going to send, might as well post it, a dried apple recipe that everyone can make at home. 
And then also a little follow-up to my challenge. Am I reading The Blue Castle? Yes, in fact, I am reading The Blue Castle. I have to confess that the beginning was so ponderous that I almost quit. But just now, in chapter 19, a character's mother has just told her it would have been easier if you had died, which reminded me of Grace and Frankie, because Grace told her husband the same thing. It would have been easier if you had died. And so... I'm back in. There's more interesting characters now. We've moved scenery, and I'm going to persevere. I'm going to get to all the way to the end before I make a judgment, but that first third of the book is, I was like, I really did get it after the first couple pages, but we just kept a going. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to that update because I am not reading it. Well, that'll about do it for episode four of Anne with an E. Catch us next time for episode five, which may or may not be our favorite episode. No spoilers <laughs> on that one. Uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. You are I was telling your mom, and this is, um, you know, ironic because we're having a show today where we talk about uh, sexist behavior of 1896, et cetera. But I was oh, telling her, interesting. <laughs> I, well, we're talking about Anne of Green Gables. Um, but anyway, uh, I was telling her the other day that I made so much money in college doing boys laundry in the dorm. And I'm, what? Like, and I'm like, I don't think that would be available to the modern lady. Oh, it definitely, definitely would not. No guy would ever pay a girl to do was up to clean his underwear. I, I mean, I cleaned <laughs> up. I, I cleaned up, and I cleaned up financially because I got, I made more money per hour than any human in that dorm. What the heck? Oh my god! See, I wouldn't pay someone to do my laundry. Just sit there and read a book while your laundry is going for forty-five minutes. Let's see what's so hard about that. I don't or know better I... yet, the best way to do laundry in college is just wear your clothes into the shower. Oh my god. <laughs> You know what? I okay. am not one for the fainting Bye, couch, Luke. but I have placed the back of my hand on my forehead right now. <laughs> I know. Like, you started off really good, right? You're like, oh, good for you reading a book while you do your laundry and not hire a girl. <laughs>